The first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, beginning at verse 1. And in the Pew Bibles, it's page 90. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, <coughs> who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be to their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. My brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, 
whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Glory to you, O Lord. It's Matthew, chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to the chief priests and Pharisees in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So let us pray. Living God, we pray that your living word, which we have heard with our ears, may enter into our mind. We pray that your word may enter into our hearts and kindle our love for you. We pray that your word may shape our lives to live as a people to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) That is a very um, extraordinary gospel passage that you've just heard read, especially the ending of it. And I want you to imagine it, if this is not too much to ask, a bit like a, a Charlie Chaplin movie. First you see a little man, shabbily dressed, who's lounging around on a street corner, wondering what to do. And then up draws a gleaming car and out steps a smartly dressed chauffeur who beckons him in, whizzes him off in the car and takes him to a very grand house. And then we see the little man still in his scruffy clothes sitting down to this enormous heavily laden table. His face is a picture of amazement and glee as he tucks into this enormous banquet. But suddenly the scene changes and towering over the little guy, there's a tall, very angry man shouting, gesticulating at him, pointing at his shabby clothes. And our hero, if that's what he is, doesn't know what to do. He he shrugs in bewilderment. But the tall man clicks his fingers And from offstage, two great big burly shaven-headed bouncers stride on. And they lift the little guy up by his shoulders, tie him up with ropes, and throw him out from the back door. Sounds like a pretty good Charlie Chaplin movie to me. You have to feel sorry for Charlie Chaplin, because he's the little guy to whom stuff happens without any apparent reason. And in the end, you know, it's not good stuff. And you have to feel sorry for the man in this morning's gospel because stuff just seems to happen to him too without any apparent reason. And it ends up not being good stuff either. Just think, you see, one moment he's minding his business, sitting around on the highways and byways with nothing to do, Then the servants of the king appear and summon him to a wedding feast. How amazing. And he sits down to the wedding banquet and then suddenly the king himself appears and shouts at him, friend, he doesn't really mean friend of course, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And it's not surprising that the guy is speechless 
But the king's servants bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't really seem very fair, does it? When would he have had time to get himself a wedding garment? Well, it may be that there are two stories stuck together here. Um, And Matthew may have just kind of put one after another. But they do have a common theme. And the theme is that of invitation. And invitations, invitations to go somewhere, to do something, are an important part of the stuff that happens in our lives, or sometimes the stuff that doesn't happen to us. If you receive an invitation as a recipient, the choice is yours. You can only say yes or no. The point is that the invitation comes from beyond us. We cannot control it. When we say, oh, he he engineered an invitation for himself or she got herself invited, we don't mean it in a good way, do we? We don't try to praise people who engineer invitations. There's something a bit underhand about that, about the idea of trying to get ourselves placed into the position where we will be invitees. To be a guest... To be a guest really means to be a recipient, someone to whom stuff just happens. And mostly, we want that stuff to happen. We want to be invited. Certainly, we want to be invited when we see somebody else getting invited. Now, this is is kind of sensitive stuff. Do you remember the flowerpot men? I remember the flowerpot men. Do you remember that episode in the flowerpot men where Bill says to Ben, Oh, see you tonight with slow coach at Little Weed's party then, Ben. And there's a long silence. And then Ben replies, But I haven't been invited, Bill. And that's really embarrassing for Bill. And it's really hurtful for Ben. Because even though Ben hadn't thought once of spending the evening with Little Weed and Slow Coach, and he really didn't want to, he suddenly realises, when he hears that Bill is invited, he realises in a flash that is exactly what he wanted to do that night. And so there is unhappiness between the flowerpot men. And that's not a good thing. But, of course, this is not just about flowerpot men. It's about our faith. The invitation to share in the Lord's celebration is what our faith is all about. Throughout the Bible, there are repeated divine invitations echoing, saying, Come. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom has built her house She calls from the highest places in the town, Come, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. From the prophecy of Isaiah, 
Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy and wine, buy, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. And from Matthew's gospel, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Somebody asked me once what my favorite Bible verse was, and without thinking, I said, come to me, all you that are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I probably shouldn't have said that in public, but there you go, that's what I said. And I want us all in this Diocese of Litchfield to respond to our direction of travel. Come, follow Christ in the footsteps of St. Chad. You see, Christianity is a religion of invitation. Our God asks us to come to him, to sit and eat at his table where he himself will serve us. This is stuff that happens to us, to all of us, and we cannot engineer it or arrange it. We are just recipients of an invitation, and all we're asked to do in the first place is to say yes or no. And that's where it gets complicated, because the strange puzzling thing is that very often we want to say no or at least not yet just as the guests invited in the gospel parable to the wedding feast say no there is something about us that is profoundly suspicious of invitations we may be upset if we're not invited but that doesn't mean that we're always full of enthusiasm if we are invited. And that is particularly true when the invitation is one which is unconditional and free, as is the invitation that God sends to us. And perhaps that's more true of us in this age than it has been in any past age because we are full of doubts and suspicions that make us want to hold back from saying yes. Why is that? What is it that makes us so suspicious of invitations, particularly those that are unsolicited and free? I think there are at least three reasons, and God has an answer for each of them an answer that we set out in this great meal of Holy Communion we share this morning. First of all, we might say no to an invitation. You might say no to an invitation because you don't actually trust the person who is inviting you. It all seems too good to be true. We think there must be, there must be something in the small print that will sign us up to, I don't know, to buy a timeshare holiday or to capture our online banking details or whatever it may be. What's the catch? What's the catch? That's the first question we've learned to ask when somebody makes us an offer. 
And of course, in much of our day-to-day dealings, that is a very prudent question to ask. But it's not the right question to ask of God. There is no catch in the invitation God issues to us. Just pure grace, amazing grace, as we've just sung. And the only response he asks of us is faith to trust him. Draw near with faith, I will say to you in a few minutes when I invite you to the table. It really is as good as it seems. Just believe, come, eat, drink, have faith. Sometimes, though, another reason for saying no to an invitation is it it just doesn't seem to be our kind of thing. Or we think, well, who else is going to be invited? And do I want to be with them? Um, Just before Julia and I left our house in South London to come up to Litchfield a year ago, I remember that through our front door, somebody shoved a flyer that said this, Enjoy sun-drenched, action-filled holidays with fun-loving young singles like yourself. (laughs) Then join in the nighttime party that never stops. I don't think um, that travel company had done a great deal of market research on our household. But I knew instantly that was an invitation I so, so, so did not want to take up. It wasn't that I thought there might be a catch, that I wasn't sure what to expect. On the contrary, I knew all too well what to expect. So the problem was not the intentions of the inviter, but the character of the fellow invitees. Not my kind of people, I thought, and probably I wasn't their kind of person either. So I got into my best Victor Meldrew mode. But we're not to think like that about God's invitation. Those who are invited along with us, our fellow guests, are like us in the one thing that really matters, that we and they are all in need of God's mercy and God's healing in our lives. And so when we receive God's invitation, the first and the last lesson that we have to keep on learning is to love the people who are joined with us as guests at God's table. It's not for us to choose who to break bread with. God gives us one another as companions. Remember that wonderful word, companion, one who shares the bread with you and he asks us to love one another as he has loved us. So we need faith in the God who invites us and we need love for those who invites, he invites along with us. But there is still one more thing that so often holds us back from saying yes to God's invitation. And that one thing is ourselves. We think, we say to ourselves, it can't really be 
for me. Not me. It just can't be me. Nothing like that ever happens to me. Or even if we don't say that explicitly, we've learned to think in that way about ourselves. Here's a great example of that kind of thinking from that wonderful treasury of spiritual wisdom, Winnie the Pooh. Many happy returns of the day, Eeyore, said Piglet. Meaning me? Of course, Eeyore. My birthday? Yes! Me having a real birthday? Yes, Eeyore, and I've brought you a present. Eeyore took down his right hoof from his right ear, turned round and with great difficulty put up his left hoof. I must have that in the other ear, he said. And so it goes on. And you know, there is a gloomy, gloomy Eeyore in each one of us that can't quite believe that anybody cares about us and certainly not that God cares about us. It can't be for us, we think, this invitation of God. And we think that because we're in danger of losing hope and despair always makes people grumpy. But hope belongs alongside faith and love because actually God has not given up hope in you or in me. We have a sure and certain hope, not because we're optimistic about ourselves, but because God in Jesus Christ is the one who forgives us and remakes us and gives us new life. And that is what we really experience in our lives when we come to this table of the Lord. So you see, we have a hope to encourage us. We have a faith to trust in. We have a love to bring us together. And after all the wriggling and all the protesting and all the doubting, in the end, we just have to say yes to God's invitation. And that is exactly what all of you have done. That's why we are all here this morning together in Baston Hill, gathered at the table of the Lord. So let's enjoy God's wonderful gift, his invitation that every time we receive it changes our life to make us more like Jesus. This is the best stuff that can happen to us. Let me leave you with George Herbert's wonderful poem about Holy Communion. Love. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. 
I, the unkind, ungrateful. Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Amen.